One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the second episode of Tukhang sa Tukhang. We started and ended episode one with a number. 4 million. That is the Duterte government's officially adopted baseline for the number of drug users in the Philippines. In this episode, we zoom in and drill down on another official number, 5,500. That is the number of persons that government acknowledges have been killed in the course of the war on drugs. Critics say the first number, 4 million drug users, is way too high. And that second number, they say, 5,500 deaths, is far too low. Ako po si Robbie Alampay, Puma Podcast. We're taking stock of President Rodrigo Duterte's war on drugs to understand where and how far it has taken Filipinos in four years and how much farther they are willing to go. Kung magulo at nakakalito ang numbers, take note, most of the numbers we have so far discussed, they all come from the side of government. But this is the key thing to keep in mind. Without question, officials' estimates of drug users tend to be larger than the estimates of civil society, including that of NGOs and academics. When it comes to the casualty count, it is the other way around. Sa bilangan ng mga nababarel, nasasaktan, napapatay, di hamak na mas mababa ang bilang at taya ng pamahalaan. Government numbers are far lower. Tanya Quijano, Ika Fernandez, and Abby Pangilinan are private researchers. They have been tracking the numbers in the war on drugs ever since it began in late 2016. We spoke with Tanya and her colleagues in the first episode. Now she introduces us to two basic sets of numbers that pertain to drug-related deaths over the past four years. Sa mga napapatay naman, ang official na binibigay ng PNP ay around 6,000 na dead. But even before that, they were already conflicting with PIDEA in terms of the number. Pero meron tayong mga tinatawag na deaths under investigation na umaabot na rin talaga sa around 27 to 29,000. So in total, talaga mga 30,000 na talaga siya. Since we interviewed the private researchers months ago, official numbers for what government says were legitimately killed in the course of the war on drugs has since come down. Tanya mentioned 6,000. The official number for that is now 5,500. Civil society groups place the estimate much higher, anywhere from 20,000 to 40,000. The government says that's ridiculous. Once again, we will not be the ones to have a final word on this question. But by the end of this episode, you will have a clearer idea of why the official and unofficial numbers are so far apart. As with the debates over the number of drug users in the Philippines, 
the gap starts with differences in definition. Umpisaan natin sa simple lang. How many have been killed in the course of the war on drugs? Government says, well, what does killed mean? Ilan ang namatay? Ilan ang napatay? Sagot na mga opisyal, eh, teka po muna. Ano po ba ibig sabihin ng napatay? We continued our conversation from episode 1 with Philippine Drug Enforcement Agency spokesperson Derek Carion. Ang daming grupo ang naglabas ng numero na talagang medyo sobrang lalaki. Napati po kami na gugulat kung bakit ganun kalaki ang kanilang estimate. Ang tingin po namin, they were talking about all deaths happening on the streets regardless of whether these are related to or committed by people involved in the illegal drug trade. So nagkaroon ng mga piguro na pinakamalupit na natandaan ko, lumampas yata ng 30,000. Abay, sandali. Ang pinag-uusapan lamang po sana rito is persons who died during anti-drug operations. Okay, so we follow that lead and for now we limit the count to persons who died during anti-drug operations. Obviously, yes, that would be a much smaller subset than, say, all the people who died due to some crime. And it is even a smaller subset than, halimbawa, all the people who died because somehow may kinalaman sa droga. As Carion said, people who died during police operations. Dun lang tayo sa police, NBI, and PDEA operations. This is how tricky it can get. Carion acknowledges the discrepancy but again insist that definitions are key to reconciling what we're all seeing. We are all seeing the deaths. But while a number were killed by cops, meron din daw yung mga napatay na dealers or pushers or users ng dealers or pushers or users. Iba, sabi niya, halimbawa, Turf wars between two groups or between drug pushers or drug personalities who might have killed their cohorts or the people who owe them Dahil kumuha sa kanila ng supply at hindi na bayaran or hindi na remit yung bayad, we would pertain to operations conducted by either the PDEA, the PNP, NBI, or in joint operations, or individually by these units. We already knew, of course, that how private researchers and civil society, including the media, is monitoring deaths is different from how government is counting and then categorizing them. But here is the key point PDEA's Mr. Carion makes. Not even every death, even in legitimate police operations, is necessarily tallied by police as a death in the course of legitimate police operations. Collateral damage, for example, innocents killed. It is not that suspects lang ang binibilang, tapos mga civilian hindi. Pwedeng mabilang ang civilians, even innocents. Whether or not you get added to the official number of 5,500 legitimately killed in the course of the war on drugs depends on factors as random as where exactly were you when you got hit? Here I am trying to get a clearer idea of how this works. Derek Carion walked me through a hypothetical but also reasonably typical scenario. So the 5,500 that you refer to here as persons who died during anti-drug operations, it includes civilians, suspects, and enforcers. Yes, okay. mabibilang po yan talaga na hindi lang drug personalities because it can really happen. Okay. Atulad nun, visitor of a drug din, not necessarily a drug personality. Malay mo talaga, they just happen to be there. Pero dahil nagkaroon ng bakbakan, nandun sa loob ng drug din, 
maaari. Kaya nga po, lahat po ito ng mga kamatayan, may kaukulang investigasyon. What about yung hindi nasa loob ng drug den? Let's say nasa labas, tinamaan ng stray bullet. That's that count here? Supposedly, hindi na. Papapasok yan malamang sa death under investigation. So, halimbawa, in one operation, may napatay, let's say, na isang suspect sa loob ng drug den. May taong nagkataon bumibisita doon. But then again, den. was inside the was drug den. Was inside the drug den. Na baril yan. So, dalawa na yan. Yes, diba? they would most likely be counted yeah, dito. Now, in the meantime, habang nagbabakbakan, may stray bullet tinamaan sa labas ng drug den. Will that be counted as a third person who died during anti-drug operations? based on their parameters, it may not necessarily be counted. I-establish muna nila kung talagang as a result of stray bullet coming from that firefight yun. Diba tayo na media? Ano ba nangyari dito? Pagkatapos may kumalabit na sa reporter. Yung asawa ko po, wala naman kaming kinalaman dyan. Tinamaan ng bala. Formally construing from the definition, hindi dapat. Kasi maga, hindi naman siya subject ng operation. We're talking about subjects of the operation. So this is a very specific subset. Is there a larger subset Perhaps that you keep count of? Palagay ko, that's why there are other categories such as DUI and then in total, yung, yung other crimes na. You can imagine all the other scenarios that are not counted as killed in the course of the war on drugs and are instead counted under the general headings of deaths under investigations and other crimes. Certainly, non-sanctioned police operations, including killings by unidentified assailants, they are not counted. Even if we could all agree on definitions and categories and methodology, the remaining problem would be the actual counting. Agreeing on what we are tallying can be confusing enough, as you just heard. But how is the actual effort in doing the count? Not just for what is defined as legitimate kills of suspects, but all the way to the larger, granted, more general count of deaths under investigation. For private researchers, the challenge is to see what can be independently corroborated, qualified, questioned, confirmed, or debunked. Government reports start and end with numbers reported by its own enforcers, the police, anti-drug units like PIDEA, NBI, barangay or village-level officials. Here's Abby. Dahil nga medyo sparse yung data na nakukuha kasi kadalasan, pangalan lang, nickname pa. We had to validate to make sure na tama naman yung nabigay na information. We did a lot of data scraping talaga from multiple sources just to make sure that the facts are the same. Sheila Coronel, one of the Philippines' most respected investigative journalists, the founder of the Philippine Center for Investigative Journalism, says the gaps appear even before you compare official reports with what is monitored and reported by the private sector. One can compare official police reports from local stations with official police reports as collated at the national levels, and even those official numbers do not line up. The police has an official count, but has shifted over the years. Each regional office and each police station also has a count, but what we've seen is that none of these counts match, and that over time the counts change. PIDEA, the Philippine Drug Enforcement Agency, also keeps a count. Each local government is mandated by the DILG to keep a count of a running watch list of drug users 
and drug dealers, and then they tick off each time a drug user or a drug dealer is killed. And so to the official numbers, private groups try not so much to add, but to counter-check against what is reported by media, documented by community-based organizations, surveyed by NGOs and research groups, tallied by barangays, what religious groups can confirm from their congregations, and even samplings of what local morgues are willing to share. Sheila gives an idea of everything it takes to add to official pictures, only to inevitably paint a bigger but still fuzzy picture. We've also had the cooperation of parishes who've been collecting information on victims so they can help them. We have many journalists in Manila who've collected documents and data over the last three years. We even have data from a funeral parlor in Caloacan and the redemptorists in Baclaran who have been providing burial assistance to victims of drug war killings. They actually have a social worker who keeps meticulous records about every person they've buried. And they collated for us the information they have relating to drug war killing. So this is really an entire community of people who've helped us in this project. Sheila now runs the Stabil Center for Investigative Journalism at Columbia University. They set out to apply more sound statistical analysis. It was inevitable, they theorized, that official numbers of deaths represent a gross underestimation. They arrived at this conclusion by looking at three cities, Caloocan, Manila, and Quezon City. Because at least in those three cities, a lot of deaths were in fact being reported. And they believe that these cities, in fact, have the capacity greater than most to record deaths if they wanted to. We were working on several hypotheses, and one is that the official numbers are wrong. And that for us is the easiest to do because we could compare the police data set with all the other data sets that we had. We created a spreadsheet. We based our coding scheme basically on Ateneo's current database, but we have the victim's name, their nicknames, the street address that they lived in, the barangay, their city. That's Mariel Padilla, one of the researchers with Sheila at the Stabil Center in Columbia University. One of the biggest challenges was data comes in different forms, in different shapes, and in different types of files. So creating a spreadsheet, basically 10 months of our lives, we're just in front of a computer. And that's David Mora, another researcher from the Stabil Center. We took in all of the sources that we were getting and we looked at each victim by victim and we were looking at name, location of death, time of death, type of death. And we were just trying to make sure that we had no duplicates in our comprehensive list. So it took hours and hours of cleaning. And basically we just had to go one by one and check all of these different variables. Sheila says that 50% of all homicides recorded by the police in these cities were tied to illicit narcotics. At the same time, their team found hundreds of homicides that were documented by private and non-government groups, but were not on the police record at all. We found only 40% of the killings are recorded in the news, and that's in Metro Manila. Can you imagine what it is in other places? What we've shown is that you cannot trust the police data, that there are many more killings out there that have not been documented, that 
our society does not have a capacity to document all of these killings. Some more effort should be done, at least to have a historical record of this moment. And this is what we've attempted to do. We have 2,300 people who died, and we know who they are, where they were killed, and possibly why they were killed. And we want to preserve that information before it's lost. Sheila mentions 2,300 deaths. To be clear, that only refers to drug-related deaths that they found in Caloocan, Quezon City, and Manila alone within just the first 18 months of the war on drugs. The official estimate for such killings in those cities over that period is less than a third of what the investigative journalists estimate. Sheila and her team turned to specialists, statisticians, mathematicians, who also specialize in human rights work to make sense of the gap between official data and what their team found. My name is Patrick Ball. I'm the director of research at the Human Rights Data Analysis Group here in San Francisco, California. We're a group of statisticians and computer scientists and social scientists who uh, like to, do, to work with data and statistics and, and mathematical models and machine learning to help human rights groups do their work more powerfully. It was Patrick Ball's investigation that substantiated the Stabile team's hypothesis that the official numbers are way off in Caloocan, Quezon City, and Manila. I asked Patrick to explain how they arrived at that picture. Let me give you a story. Let's say you went out to a neighborhood and you asked a bunch of people there. You said, okay, can you tell me everyone that you know who's been killed in the drug-related killings? And they say, okay, and they give you a bunch of names. And you say, okay, and you write a story about those cases. And then maybe a, a few days later, you decide to, to do another story. So you go back to the neighborhood and you ask a bunch of people the same question. You say, can you give me the names of the people that you know who were killed in drug-related killings? And they give you a bunch of names. And you say, okay, well, wow, these are all different names. You go back a third time and you ask people, and this, the third time you ask a bunch of other people and they give you names and only a few of the names you hear the third time are the names you heard the second or the first time. What you would conclude from this is the question you would say is, well, how many times can I keep going back to this neighborhood and keep finding completely new victims? If you can keep going back over and over again and finding completely new people you've never heard about before, the implication is... There's a lot you don't know about. On the other hand, if by the second or third visit you go back and everybody keeps telling you the same names, maybe you say, well, you know, maybe I, I have it all now because I keep hearing the same names over and over again. The problem is that these processes can get so big so fast, it's really, really hard to get all the data. And we know this because criminologists have been studying this for decades. And so even in countries like Sweden, we don't get all the homicides. We get most of them. You may only miss one or two percent. But even in Sweden, where there's very few homicides and very, very good government statistical agencies, you don't get it all. And then you get to countries like the United States and you only really get about 90 percent. And then you get to countries like Colombia and you really only get about 60 or 65 percent. 65 percent in Colombia. Compare that to what Ball says they found in Quezon City, Caloocan, and Manila, just for the first one and a half years of the war on drugs. By their calculations, the numbers in those cities 
represent just a third of reality. Certainly, they were working with incomplete data. So how did they fill in the gaps? They were using, moreover, different data sets. How were those reconciled? Patrick Ball walked me through a thought experiment. Imagine, he said, a dark room. You don't know how big that room is. Just like nobody really knows how big the universe of drug-related deaths in the Philippines is. What to do? So imagine that you have two rooms and they're dark inside. You can't see inside them. And you want to know which room is larger and which room is smaller. And the only way you can measure this is you have little rubber balls, the balls that bounce very energetically. The balls don't make any noise when they touch the ceilings or the walls. When they hit each other, get a little click like that. Okay? You throw the balls into the first room and you listen and they bounce around in there and you hear as they all run into each other. Then you collect the balls and you go to the second room and you throw them again and you listen and you hear Okay, which was larger? The second one. Exactly, because the balls have spread out. So the, the room is all the drug-related killings committed, say, by unidentified assailants in Manila. Okay, that's a room. And the balls in this analogy are the different data sets that ha are all trying to document these drug-related killings. And every once in a while, data sets run into each other, finding the same death. And sometimes they don't. The more the data sets overlap each other, the fewer deaths fall outside that. And the fewer deaths they find in common, the more deaths we assume fall completely outside. There's a question, of course, that's nagging in the back of all of our minds. Why is it even important to be precise about any of this? If there's one thing government is willing to acknowledge with the private organizations, is that whatever the number is, it's tragic. We know that the casualty count is a very political issue. And so we wanted to have a sense of really when President Duterte says, I will make you safe, what is the cost of that safety? So what price are Filipinos willing to pay to fight drugs and crime? The price Filipinos are willing to pay for a sense of safety. First of all, let's talk about that safety. It's important to note, as Sheila does in articles she has written, that PNP data show that the overall crime rate in the Philippines has in fact come down since President Duterte took over, although the numbers for homicide have gone up. And while surveys say that around 80% of Filipinos would prefer for drug suspects to be arrested unharmed, and an overwhelming majority are afraid of becoming collateral damage in anti-drug campaigns, approval ratings for President Duterte has always hovered above 80%. All that said, we come back to Sheila's question. Do Filipinos know, or do they even want to know, the cost of the results attributed to President Duterte's notorious approach to fighting crime and securing the neighborhoods that many Filipinos say 
are actually, indeed, much safer these days. Marielle had her own insight on the study. The product came out as just numbers, but at least for me, it was hard to just make them into numbers because the data that I was looking at was in more narrative form. As I was reading news reports and the police documents, it was very clear to me that they were people because they had names and jobs and spouses. So for me, they never were numbers. Tanya, Ika, and Abby, they also say it's important to have a picture in mind of what those numbers actually translate to in human terms. So for the past three years, been 21,000 to 29,000 estimate on the number of deaths because of the drug war is actually more than any natural calamity or even man-made disaster that this country experienced. If you're talking about 28,000, that's more than a jam-packed Ironeta Coliseum in a UAP game. The difference lang is when you're talking about natural calamities like yung casualty mo ng Yolanda is around 10,000, Marawi siege was around 1,000, you see it immediately. The dead are there, 10,000 in one go. The thing with the drug war is that it happens every night. So the highest number was, I think, 39 in one night. So that's a classroom, a classroom full of students. Ganun karami in one night. As we were doing this episode, I keep hearing our exchange about that house and how kung nabaril sa loob, counted. Kung nabaril sa labas, not counted. And I wonder if our answer to what we're willing to pay is somewhere in that metaphor. That for as long as it's clear to us who gets killed within that house of the war on drugs, many Filipinos appear to have accepted that price. But to that acceptance also have come only on the condition that they could avoid looking at everything else, everyone else who got hit outside of that official house. In the next episode of Tokhang sa Tokhang, we will continue to ask that question. What price have Filipinos so far paid, willingly or otherwise? The war on drugs has affected not just those who lost or risked their lives, but every individual compelled to reflect on their role within it. In episode 3, we speak with artists and musicians bursting to help make sense of an overwhelming tide. They will help us to move forward in this story. Tokhang sa Tokhang is a multi-part audio documentary by Puma Podcast. I am your host and writer, Robbie Alampay. This episode was produced by Trisha Aquino. Research was done by Nin Sapalo, Kat Ventura, and Christine Chung. Our audio editor is Mark Casillan. Please do follow Puma Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The music you've been hearing is from the Collateral Rap album by Calix and Balakid. We are using this with their permission and we will tell you their story later. Sa gitna ng dilim, may liwanag nakabukas sa mga bisig Mga inang nawalan ng anak Lumilibot para magbasid At mapigilan ang pagdanak 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.